We're going to jump into our sermon for today. We're looking at a, a special text today. I love this text because it really, through story, gives the heart of God uh, for people to come to know him. And we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 14, 15 to 24. If you're new here, we're going through a series in the book of Luke. And we're in the part of Luke where Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. He's headed to be crucified. And so he has these very important teachings and conversations with people before he makes it to Jerusalem to the Passion, to be crucified, to be on the cross. Um, and so today we, we get to continue uh, this conversation that Jesus is having with the Pharisees. Now, I don't know if anybody uh, experiences this, and I'm, I'm pretty sure a lot of you do, because I've seen the memes uh, on social media about this, where like you make a plan like a month in advance, and you're like, oh yeah, I'm free that night, I'll be good. Uh, and then that night comes closer, and then say day of, and you're looking at your calendar and you think, what in the world was I thinking when I made this plan? I do not want to go out right now. I'm a homebody. Uh, and so I'm just like looking at my calendar and I'm wondering, you know, is there, what can I do to get out of this right now? <laughs> I'm telling you. Uh, right, and you start kind of racking your head and then maybe the other person texts you like, hey, do you still want to do this? It's like, I'm good if you are, you know. <laughs> you don't want to say no, but... You don't want to say yes either. <laughs> uh, and, and that's the story that we have of today, that Jesus makes an invitation to us. He invites us to his table. He invites us to his banquet. But when the time comes, what happens is that we regret the promise to attend. And we begin to look for and start making excuses to not attend the banquet that Christ has invited us to. See, the context of the scripture that we're reading today is if you've been following along with us for the past few weeks, Jesus is at a Pharisee's house, one of the important Pharisees, one of the rulers in the Pharisaical class. And there's lots of other Pharisees with him at this dinner party. It's one of the last, uh, I think it is the last good interaction that he, he has with the Pharisees where they're on, they're not on hostile grounds. And, you know, if you've been following along, you realize probably why this is one of the last interactions that Jesus has not on hostile terms with them. But he's about to give them his final lesson, and he's been giving them lessons. He gave them lessons on compassion, on humility, on generosity, and this is the final lesson that he is about to give the Pharisees at this dinner table. He's about to give them a lesson uh, about the eternal dinner table that God has invited people to and many of their responses to it. And we can learn from their response today. Let's read together. You can read on the screen or with your Bible. Luke chapter 15, uh, 14, verse 15. Jesus is at the fair. <clears throat> sorry. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But Jesus said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. 
And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to, the, to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Do you know that many people will not sit at the eternal table with God because they have good excuses in life? The man that started off this conversation, he assumed everybody at this earthly banquet was going to be in the eternal one. He says, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. He assumes that everyone there will be able to eat in the kingdom of God together. They were the religious elite of the time, right? We have learned about the Pharisees. This was one of the major groups that made up the hierarchy of the religious elite in the Jewish system, in the Jewish religion at that time. So, of course, if anybody was going to eat bread at the kingdom of God, it was going to be everybody that was sitting there. They had dedicated their life to the study, the obedience, and the interpretation of the Torah, and all the Jewish traditions after that, of course, they were going to be there. But Jesus turns that on their head, and I started to wonder, who do we assume will be in heaven? Who do we assume in this life will be in heaven? A lot of times, it's people with a lot of followers that talk about God on TikTok or Instagram. Well, of course, if they have 100,000 plus followers, what they are saying is right. Of course, if they have 50,000 subscribers on YouTube, what they are saying is correct. They will be there in heaven. A lot of times we think the size of someone's church automatically says that they will be in heaven. Now, let me tell you, I have nothing against mega churches. There are some, I've met some, well, I will say this. I've met one very great person who is deceased now, Pastor Tim Keller, that I, when I met him, I met him several times. He helped train me when I was going to plant a church and several of our leaders in this church. And the humility on that man, I thought I could be like him. But there are many others, and I met a lot. Been a Christian my whole life. My dad, uh, through my dad, I've had the privilege of meeting lots of people through connections, meeting lots of people. And there are many leaders that everybody in the Christian world looks to. And as I've gotten deeper in my relationship and understanding their life, I thought, I do not want to be like you. I don't want my life to be an image and a picture of yours. And so it doesn't surprise me anymore, the scandals that come out one after another. When you read about Carl Lentz or the, the other guy that had a Hill song, I forget, Brian Houston, 
or when you read about Ravi Zacharias, and you read about what's going on in IHOP, and all these other things. Because it's all right here in Scripture. Right? I've learned that unless I personally know you, I can't vouch. That's the problem. We think because we watch somebody's stories every day on Instagram that we personally know them. Jesus explains why they're not going to be there. And the reason he gives is good excuses. The land and the ox and the wedding. These are great excuses. Do you know why I think that God will not answer a lot of our prayers to be wealthy? Because when he answers those prayers, a lot of us will have good excuses. To not go to the banquet that God is calling us to. The cares of this life will enshroud us and wrap us up. That's why when someone always tells me, oh, I'll start giving when I make more money, or I'll start being generous towards people when I have more in my bank account, I don't believe them. Because if we're not faithful with the little, the scripture says, we won't be faithful with much. Right? These excuses that these people gave, they had already said yes to come to the banquet. See how it went in those times is you sent out an invitation and you respond, you RSVP to the invitation quite like we would do with the wedding nowadays. And when the day comes, because, you know, they didn't have clocks and things like that. It's not like, hey, be here at 6 o'clock or something like that. The master of the house would send out his servants to all the other people, and they would say, the food is ready. You can come now. And so I, I pictured this as the, when, when everybody starts saying no, I, I thought of an actual wedding feast. And you ever, you ever been to a wedding feast, and after you're there for like two hours, there's the table with all the names, or you pick up your name, and you go sit at your table. But then after a couple of hours, if you walk past that table, it becomes the table of shame. Who said they were coming up until the, that day and paid for that plate and they never came, right? So who are those? I, I was, you know, I'm a curious person. So I always like to go, look, who are the five or six names that said they were coming but never came? And it's messed up because who knows how much you're paying, you know, per plate. You know, hopefully they send a gift in the mail that covers, you know, the, the, the plate that you paid for. But that's being very uh, generous to people. Um, but if you, you look at that and it's, you know, you're just like, hey, you were supposed to come. What are the excuses? And so when the servant goes out and he, he goes to, hey, the food is ready. The master laid out the money. He spent the day preparing. He made sure that this great banquet and feast would be good for everybody. And then right when it's time to enjoy the feast, he's sitting there and none of his friends come. They all have an excuse to not come. And they're good excuses. This one guy says, hey, I just got married. This one guy's like, hey, I just bought some five ox. I got to check them out. Like, I just got a car. Right? I, I got some new equipment for the shop, and I need to make sure everything's working properly. I just invested a lot of money into this. 
Well, this one person saying, I, I just bought some land. This is a large investment. I need to go and make sure that everything in the land is good and in and, and good order and working properly. These are good excuses. I've heard it once said that the road to hell is paved in good excuses. I know I'm not allowed to use that word in church these days, but. Oftentimes, the people we think are most qualified can miss the table. It got me wondering, what excuses do we give Jesus when he calls? Do they seem good to us, too? That when we, let's say we went up to an altar call, or we prayed a prayer, or we read and we responded, and we said, Jesus, I am going to follow you. But then Monday morning rolls around, and my alarm goes off, and... Oh, I got that big project at work due today. Oh, you know, I got that, that engagement tonight. Or, oh, I stayed out a little late. I'm tired. Oh, I had to finish binging that show. I'm tired, you know, like, let me just scroll some reels real quick. What good excuses do we give when all of our good intentions, we say, yeah, I'm going to come. I'm good, Jesus. You got me. And then Jesus calls. All right, come on. And we say, there's something else I got to do. Riches, family, the cares of the world, they are always gunning for the, us to say yes to them. Do you realize that there will always be a good excuse? A lot of times we, we think like, oh, if I just get past this hurdle in my life, if I just make it past this point, or if I just have this, then everything will be good. I'll be able to worship, to pray, to be with, I'll be able to be obedient to God finally. And it's not the truth. What I have learned is when I least want to say yes, that is when God is challenging me most to be obedient to him. See, the truth about God is this. He wants his house to be full. I don't know if any of you have thrown a party and you've invited a bunch of people. My favorite example of this is that day that David St. Jean posted on the app that he was going to play pool with everybody. <laughs> and he was really excited about it. And then nobody came. And then he shamed us about it for months whenever he had the mic. Right, but I thought of Dave, at the, you can't play pool by yourself. And if you do, people just feel bad for you at the other tables. Like, oh, bendito, you know, like poor guy. <laughs> Right, if you've ever been in that where you've invited a bunch of people and then the time comes and you're sitting there alone and you're just like, man, waiting for him. Like, where's everybody at? Then you start texting like, yo, where are you at? And like, oh, this came up, that came up. It's terrible. 
It's a bad feeling. And so the master of the house is looking at his empty house and this great feast, and he's just saying, I want this place to be filled. In verse 21, it says, So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry. I can relate to that. And said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded us has been done and there is still room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. God wants his house to be filled. Do you know that the poor, the lame, and the crippled, or I should say the lame and the crippled, were not allowed to worship in the house of God, in the actual temple? They were not allowed to worship in the temple. And so when Jesus is giving this parable and this analogy, he is saying that not only the, the poor, the marginalized, the people that, that the Pharisees, that the elite did not want to be around, that it, it was offensive to their sensibilities... That, that your, your worth was wrapped up in the worth of the guests that you got to come to your house. And so to invite the poor, the lame, and the crippled was to say that you are at the same level as the poor, the lame, and the crippled. Something that nobody would have wanted to do at that time. Then when we look at the world and we think, who should not be here? Who does not deserve to worship in church with me? We may not be that explicit with them, but oftentimes Christians get stuck in this world of us versus them. And them is not the devil, it is people. And we look at different people groups and we think they do not deserve the gospel. Like Jonah, we would rather run and see them than, than see them repent because we are mad at them. And we look at people, and we think people have become the enemy when Jesus says, love your enemies. Because what does it matter if you love the people that love you? Any unbeliever can do that. That is the way of the world. Love your enemies. And so when we think about the house being full, that God will go out and get everybody that should not belong, that others did not want to be with, that did not want to eat with, that would not want to have at their table, the master says, go out and get them. And when there's still room, he says, go to the hedges, go to the highway, go everywhere that you can go and fill up this house. God wants his house to be full. The Pharisees would have excluded these people groups from being at the place of honor with such a great man. Who would we exclude today? Because we do not believe that they can sit at the table with us. The minute we stop seeing people as sinners in need of Jesus and instead as enemies in need of our wrath, we have lost. Satan has won. If we look at our political enemies as others in need of wrath instead of 
as people in need of love, Satan has won. If we look at people who persecute us in need of wrath instead of doing what Jesus did, which was saying, God, forgive them for they know not what they do, as he hung on the cross, was maimed, crucified, spit on, whipped, gambled for his clothes, and hung ashamed naked in front of his family and friends. If we look at people who spew hate at our Christianity, who call us bigots, who don't want us around, who would rather that we'd shut up and who would rather that we die, and our reaction is that they deserve hate, that we should legislate against them and cast them out, we have lost. We have given in to the kingdom of the world. And we have said that God, it would, it would be better for God's house to be empty than to be filled with my enemies. God wants his house to be full. Sometimes we get fixated on who should be there instead of who can be there. Did you hear that? Sometimes we get fixated on who should be in the house of God rather than who can be in the house of God. Yes, we all have people that we have been praying for for a long time and we want to be in God's house. But the question that this scripture poses to us as God's people is who else? Who else? What are the people groups? What are the neighbors? What are the coworkers? You know, I was once a part of a business group. And in the business group, there were about fluctuated between 25 and 35 people in that group. And there was, and, and I prayed for the group, God, who do you want me to witness to? As I had one-on-ones with people, I had a, a mental list of who I thought would be receptive to the gospel and who I didn't think would be receptive to the gospel. And as I went down that list and I started having one-on-ones with people, everybody who I thought would be receptive to the gospel was not and would shut down that conversation every time I would try to bring it up. And the people who I thought there was no hope, there was one person in particular I thought she would never want to hear the gospel. And so she asked me one day, hey, can you come talk? I want to talk business. And so we're talking about our lives and she found out I was a pastor. And she asked me, would your church be welcome to me coming to worship there. And I, I, like, the automatic response was, of course you can come and worship with us. Like, the door is open for everybody. But the conviction that settled in my heart at that moment, I'll never forget it, because I went home and I cried that day. I cried because I had wrote somebody off and was not even going planning to share the gospel with them because I thought they would not be receptive based off of political and lifestyle ideologies. But God humbled me in that moment. And of all the people in that group 
that person was the last one that I thought would be receptive, but turned out to be the only one who was receptive to the invitation to come to the great banquet. Oftentimes we write people off. There's no way that person will receive. There's no way that person wants to hear. And because of that, we withhold the good news. God wants his house to be full. One of the priorities of our church in the next year is going to be outreach. How do we engage with the community around us in ways that we can share the gospel? Just as Jesus did, where he fed people physically but also spiritually. How can we witness to our neighbors around us more? How can we make sure that we are not becoming a social club that is more concerned about what happens inside the walls rather than making sure that God's house is full? The word of the Lord to us is this, sir, we have commanded, we have, what you have commanded has been done and still there is room. The word of the Lord to us is still there is room. Still there is room. That should ignite our hearts to share the gospel, to not look at anybody as an enemy, to not look at anybody with hatred or the wrath of God in our eyes and say, there is hope, still there is room. Still there is room. An unsaved Roman historian once said this of the early church. It was the religion of the poor women and slaves. In the Roman Empire, there were three lowest classes of people. The poor women and slaves. This is our heritage as a church. That God wants to, has made the invitation to all. But many of the ones that we would say, oh yeah, we need to get them, they definitely are saved, that they need to come into the kingdom, will have good excuses. And oftentimes it's the ones that we have turned a blind eye to, that we have said are the least of these, are the ones that are most marginalized in our community, that are the ones that are most receptive to the gospel and the sharing of the good news. Church, how can we go out as our heritage being to the poor, to the lame, to the blind, and to the crippled, as Jesus says here, to the least of these in our society, and say that the gospel is for you, that we think maybe you don't deserve, maybe you shouldn't be here, maybe I don't like if you enter into my space, maybe I'm threatened by it. But God's house must be full. God's house must be full. God's house must be full. There are those who receive the invitation and they will say yes, but when the time comes, they will find better things to do. That's not on us, that's on them. The call is clear. Don't get hung up on that. Instead, go invite others. If you have made the invitation to someone, they have said no, 
or they have said yes and they never come, then find other people that you can go and invite. Who is it around you that needs to hear the good news? Go out to the highways and hedges and compel or urge people to come in that my house may be filled. We are so scared to urge. We are so scared to say, no, you really need this. God has the answer to that. The greatest apologetic for every issue that our generation alive right now is dealing with is the gospel. The brokenness of our world, the only answer that will solve that problem is the gospel. Compel people to come in that his house may be filled. We are invited to dine at the great banquet, the greatest banquet ever thrown. And the lowest of people, me and you, are invited. We must go invite others, all who will listen, all who will come. We cannot put stipulations. We cannot say, well, no, they may not want it or they shouldn't be here. God gave us one mandate, that his house would be filled. Can you stand with me and pray? Father, I pray that you would help us today. Get it within our heart. That as the master of the house, you want your house to be filled. And that when we have gone and invited everybody you've told us, and that we see there is still room, that we would go out to the hedges, to the highways, to the byways, anyone and everyone that will hear us, and that we will urge them that there's something better, that you invite them to the greatest banquet ever thrown, to the greatest party anyone has seen, that we would sense the call from your spirit to be your witnesses to Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth, that all people at all times would hear the good news of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Church, as we worship, our prayer team is going to be in the back. If you need prayer for any reason, I invite you to go to the back and receive prayer while we sing.